0: Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Okay, well, to start off with, thank you so much to everyone who came along to the double launch for Friday Barnes 11, Last Chance, in Melbourne last week at the State Library. That was so cool. It was really good fun. Uh Two big shows and... uh that they went fantastically well. It was really fun meeting you all and talking to you about the book, and thank you everyone for your patience with those signing lines. The signing lines <laughs> were long, and um, it, but it was great. Everyone, it was such a lovely atmosphere. Um, so thank you, thank you. Uh, and for people who missed out, don't stress, there's loads more events coming up. And also, if you're just interested in getting hold of that book, Friday Barnes' A Last Chance, uh, it goes on sale when I record this today, but you, tomorrow when this goes to air, it will be on sale already. So you should be able to get it from your local bookstore if you're in Australia. Uh, if you're overseas, and I didn't realize quite how many of my listeners are overseas, I double-checked the statistics last week, and it's it's almost half the people listening to this podcast are overseas. So if you're overseas and you would like to buy any of my books, uh, the best way to do that is to go to bookdepository.com, which is a British online bookstore. Uh, they have all my titles and they have free international shipping. So you can get all the Australian editions shipped to you wherever you are in the world. Obviously, uh, a lot of people, particularly in America, have Amazon and Amazon Prime. And that's great if they've got my books at the recommended retail price. But I just know sometimes the secondhand copies, people try to gouge other people and there's crazy prices like 50 or $60 a book. And that's not cool. So um And a lot of Australian booksellers don't ship overseas. So Book Depository overall is probably your best bet if you're trying to get hold of any of my books. All right. So all that stuff's done. Now I'm actually going to read to you from the new book because I'm very excited about it. Uh, I was actually going to um, put on the podcast this week a, a recording from the live performance on Saturday, uh, but when I got home to my office and last night, I thought, oh, this is great. I get like a day off work because I don't have to record the podcast this week. I've already got a recording on a USB drive from the book launch, and I plugged it into my computer and the files were entirely empty. There was like a 10-second file where the sound guy had had tested his equipment, and that was it. So um it's probably for the best because, you know, when you're le- reading things live, there are stumbles. And uh, hopefully today I will stumble less, and I'm going to read it specially for you into the podcast. All right, so just let's just get into it. Uh, so I want to read to you from the new book, but before we get into the new book, I think we've got to recap where the last book left off. Otherwise, it's going to be wildly confusing for you all. So I'm just going to read the last couple of pages from Book 10, which is actually at the front of Book 11, um, and it's called Previously in Friday Barnes." Friday, Melanie and Ian were sitting in the customs shed at Svalbard Airport. Binky, Princess Ingrid and Uncle Bernie were with them. Friday had just solved the mystery of a major European art smuggling operation. The suspects were handcuffed to a bench at the far end of the room, and now they were all waiting for their transport flight back to the mainland. "'So what are you going to do now?' asked Ian. "'Are you coming back to Bilbao with us? "'Or are you going to stay here and take over the Norwegian police service?' "'I'm sure Father would be very happy to arrange an appointment for you, "'if that's what you'd like,' said Princess Ingrid. Friday didn't know what to say. She was still in shock from the attack at the Seed Vault, being kidnapped and confronting a polar bear. She wasn't really in the mindset to make major life decisions. Oh, you're not doing either, said Uncle Bernie. I'm not, said Friday. For a horrible moment, she thought Uncle Bernie meant that she wasn't welcome to join his family. She'd had enough rejection from her own immediate family. She didn't think she could take any more. Nah, because we're not going back to Spain either, said Bernie. What, exclaimed Ian. The job is done, said Uncle Bernie. We've got all the culprits arrested right here, aside from the buyer. Our Russian officer is going to try to nab him for that, although I think we're more likely to get him for the misuse of a submarine. Then where are we going next, asked Ian. Well, do you know anything about the Mona Lisa, asked Uncle Bernie. Everyone knows something about the Mona Lisa, said Ian. It's the most famous painting in the world. Well, it was stolen, said Uncle Bernie. No way, said Ian. When? In 1911, said Uncle Bernie. That was over a hundred years ago, said Ian. I'm explaining the background, said Uncle Bernie. Oh, I've read about that, said Friday. It was found two years after it was stolen. It was hidden in the apartment of Vincenzo Perugia, an Italian artist who'd worked at the Louvre. It was returned to Paris. Yeah, that's right, said Uncle Bernie. But here's the twist. New evidence has turned up. We have reason to believe that, during the two-year absence, it was copied. The painting that's been in the Louvre ever since, it's a fake. And if that's true, we've got to find the real one. So we're going to Paris, said Ian. Yay, said Melanie. That's the perfect place for you two. The city of love. Friday and Ian looked at each other. I'm game if you are, said Ian. Well, I have always wanted to see Madame Curie's laboratory, said Friday. Of course, said Ian, because when you think of Paris, you think of radiation. Marie and Pierre Purie were the first married couple to win a Nobel Prize together, said Friday. That is romantic. Ian smiled. I guess so. I guess if you can find radiation romantic, then there is hope for you after all. Okay, now we're starting the new bit. Chapter One, Delay. One Week Later. Friday was not in Paris. She was lying in bed in the hypothermia ward of Oslo University Hospital, and she was feeling very sorry for herself. Her boyfriend, Ian, she was pretty sure she could call him her boyfriend now. Like most boys, Ian did not seem keen on commitment, and commitment to using the word boyfriend was apparently more terrifying than taking on a team of heavily armed Russian art thieves. But Ian was definitely her friend, who was a boy, and he seemed to hold her hand often enough. And he had kissed her at least five times. She was pretty sure that would be covered by any reasonable person's definition of the term boyfriend. Anyway, Ian was in Paris without her. This was upsetting. It was not that Friday didn't trust Ian, it's just that she knew what she looked like. She also knew what French girls looked like, and she was well aware of the concept of probability. Her heart might be telling her one thing, but the mathematical part of her brain was making calculations. It was just a statistical fact that the probability of Ian meeting someone better looking than her, coming to his senses and forgetting about her, was high. If Friday had been able to go to Paris, at least he wouldn't be able to forget she existed. But Friday wasn't going anywhere. She hadn't realised she had hypothermia until she got off the plane in Oslo and face-planted on the tarmac of the airport. Friday falling over was not an unusual occurrence. She was a deeply clumsy person. But when the airport paramedics checked her and discovered that she had an atypical heart rhythm, they flew into action. Norwegians take hypothermia very seriously. When your average winter temperature is below zero, your medical professionals get to see a lot of it. Hypothermia can have some weird and nasty symptoms, so Friday was whisked off to the top teaching hospital in the country and given the latest exothermic treatments, which consisted of warmed IV fluids, whirlpool baths and constant heart monitoring. If her organs were going to fail, the doctors wanted to know at the first sign. Friday was sharing a room with Mrs. Phillipson, an elderly Alzheimer's sufferer who had locked herself out of her house in minus 10 degrees centigrade conditions, then sat down in her garden for two hours because she thought she was on a dinner date with one of her garden gnomes. Mrs. Phillipson enjoyed hospital. Her favourite bit was disassembling medical equipment because she liked the pretty coloured wires inside. This is ridiculous, grumbled Friday, from inside her cocoon of blankets that had been specially warmed to the optimal 40 degrees centigrade. "'It's lovely,' said Melanie. "'The nurses liked Melanie because she was always nice and polite, "'and she brought in muffin baskets. "'So one of the nurses had given her a warmed blanket too, "'even though she was just a visitor. "'Now they were waiting for lunch. "'Melanie liked the sandwiches best because they were cut into four, "'just like her nanny had done when she was little. "'Friday didn't mind the medical treatment so much.' She was a scientist. She appreciated that everything the medical staff was doing for her was an appropriate response to her symptoms and based on the latest clinically proven treatments. But Friday did not like being shut in. She'd spent 11 months in juvenile detention earlier that year for a crime she did not commit. Well, technically she had inadvertently advised a conspiracy to commit a crime, but she hadn't known that's what she was doing at the time. The whole thing had left her more than a bit traumatised. Being shut in a hospital ward clawed at her soul, no matter how well-intentioned the shut-in order was. Friday also resented the rules. The head nurse was very strict that there should be no excessive mental stimulation or stress. This meant that patients were not permitted to do work of any kind. Most patients were so desperately grateful to still be alive that they were happy to go along with this rule. But Friday was champing at the bit to start investigating the case of the missing Mona Lisa. She wanted to read the case notes, consult reference books, and have long conversations with Bernie about the suspects. The head nurse would not allow any of this. When Interpol had sent over some background files with Agent Christensen, the head nurse had loudly told him off and banned him from returning to the ward. And when she'd caught Friday taking the bandages off her hands so she could write down some notes while talking to Uncle Bernie on the telephone, the head nurse had confiscated the phone and banned Bernie from calling back. Friday had to just lie there. The only thing she was allowed to do was watch television, which wasn't terribly stimulating. Reality TV was bad enough, but reality TV in Norwegian was just plain confusing. Melanie was allowed to bring in gossip magazines and read them to her, and the saddest part was, after four days in hospital, this was becoming the intellectual highlight of her day. According to this, said Melanie, you can lose 10 kilos in three weeks if you only eat watermelon. Yeah, that's because you'll have early-stage malnutrition, said Friday. Keep it up for another nine weeks and you'll be dead. Or develop scurvy, or perhaps rickets. Whichever one gets you first, your hair will definitely fall out. Then I suppose you'll lose even more weight because a head full of hair must weigh, what, 100 grams? Perhaps more if your hair is thick and long. Do you want to see what celebrities look like without their makeup? Asked Melanie. "'No,' said Friday. "'I never go to the movies, and I barely watch TV. "'I don't know what celebrities look like with their makeup. "'I'd have no basis of comparison.' "'Well, basically, without makeup, they look like real people,' said Melanie. "'I know it shouldn't be shocking, but it's profoundly disappointing.' "'You're sad because extremes of archetypal human beauty don't really exist?' asked Friday. "'I'm sad because if this is what celebrities really look like,' said Melanie. "'The most famous, beautiful people in the world are secretly puffy and wrinkly,' then that means there's no one who knows what to do for a good skincare regime. "'I think I'm going to die of boredom,' said Friday. "'You're not bored,' said Melanie. "'You just miss Ian.' "'What?' said Friday. "'You're a great intellectual,' said Melanie. "'You spend most of your time caught up in your own thoughts. "'So if you're bored, it's because you can't concentrate on your thoughts. "'And the reason you can't concentrate on your thoughts "'is because you're thinking about Ian.' "'I am not,' said Friday.' If you're not, then the frozen water you fell into must have caused brain damage, said Melanie. Ian is seriously dishy. You'd be a fool not to lie around daydreaming about him. Friday would have blushed, but the heated IV fluids and hot blankets had already given her flushed cheeks, so it was hard to tell. I feel like a burrito, said Friday. Oh, yum, a burrito, said Melanie, as she continued to flick through her magazine. Do you think Interpol will send us somewhere with good Mexican food next? Does Mexico have a big art crime problem? I hope so, said Friday. At least if I fell in the ocean there, I wouldn't get hypothermia. Oh my gosh, said Melanie, suddenly sitting up. She was staring at her magazine in shock. What, said Friday. She wanted to look over Melanie's shoulder to see the magazine, but she could barely move. She was so swaddled. Ian, said Melanie. What about him, said Friday. He's in this gossip magazine, said Melanie. They've got a four-page spread from the Giorgio exhibition in Paris. Well, he is meant to be investigating the Paris art scene, said Friday. "'But what is he doing?' said Melanie to herself. "'I don't know. You tell me,' said Friday. "'What's in the picture?' Melanie looked at Friday. Her friend still looked sick. It was days since she'd fallen in the water, but Friday was still frail. "'Oh, it doesn't matter,' said Melanie. "'I'm sure it's nothing, a a misunderstanding.' "'Show me,' said Friday. Melanie didn't want to, but she knew there was no way of avoiding it. She handed the gossip magazine to Friday.' The main picture was of Giorgio, a celebrity street artist who'd made a name for himself with guerrilla art in cities across Europe, but now made a fortune selling shocking avant-garde art to millionaires with more cash than cents. He was a striking figure, a tall, olive-skinned man in a bright red suit and black shirt unbuttoned to the navel. He was so arrogant it was hard to pull her eyes away from him. That was until Friday noticed who was in the background. Then she couldn't see anything else. It was Ian looking impossibly glamorous, beautiful even, in exactly the opposite way to Giorgio. Ian was blonde, wearing a classic tuxedo, and exuding arrogance himself. But the most shocking thing about the photo was what Ian was doing. He was holding hands with someone. She couldn't see who because they were blocked by Giorgio, but Friday was pretty sure it wasn't her because she was in a hospital bed 1,500 kilometres away. He's probably holding the hand of an elderly lady who struggles to walk because she's got a poor sense of balance, and she left a walking stick in a taxi, said Melanie. Friday looked at her friend. They both knew she was lying. I have to go to Paris, said Friday. Yes, agreed Melanie, but your doctor said you have to stay here a week, and you've still got two days to go. You can't leave early. Heart arrhythmia is a serious business. I know. I could fake my death, then sneak out when they took me to the morgue, said Friday. I'm pretty sure that a hospital is the worst place to try and fake your death, said Melanie. There are lots of people here with advanced degrees in knowing whether patients are dead or not. Suddenly, on the other side of the room, Mrs. Phillipson's heart monitor started emitting a deafening alarm. Beep! 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 Mrs. Phillipson called Friday. Are you okay? A team of nurses rushed in with a crash cart. A young doctor followed close behind, barking orders. Prepare the pads! Administer 10 mils of epinephrine. Start compressions! No, she just wants a put in, called Friday, but the medical staff ignored her. The patients in cardiac arrest, said the young doctor, as he rubbed the pads of the defibrillator together, ready to apply the shocks to her chest. No, cried Friday. That could kill her. Mrs. Philipson is just hungry. She pressed the call button twice and nobody came. So she pulled off her heart monitor, licked a battery and held it to the sensor. The doctor looked up at his patient for the first time. The elderly woman smiled at him. But she's got dementia, said the doctor. She's senile, not stupid, said Friday. Mrs. Phillipson was an electrical engineer when she was younger. She'd know all about how to overload a circuit. You're not in cardiac arrest, the doctor asked Mrs. Phillipson. The elderly lady kept smiling. Mrs. Phillipson, said the head nurse, would you like some dessert? The elderly lady nodded enthusiastically. You mustn't fake cardiac events, scolded the young doctor. Haven't you ever heard the story of the boy who cried wolf? She's 94 and senile, said Friday. I think she's more interested in the story of the old lady who got her pudding. Is there anything else you'd like? The head nurse asked Mrs. Phillipson kindly. Mrs. Phillipson just smiled back blankly. I'd like a copy of The Lancet, said Friday, or perhaps The New Physicist. No, they're too stimulating, snapped the head nurse. Surely it's important to maintain brain activity, said Friday. Not in your case, said the head nurse. In your case, your brain is too active. Your body needs a chance to recover from trying to keep up with it. But I'm needed in Paris, pleaded Friday. Paris has endured two world wars, two Napoleons, a commune, countless revolutions and Nazi occupations, said the head nurse. It can survive two more days without you. I like it here, said Melanie. You just like it because you can nap as much as you want and they bring around three meals a day, grumbled Friday. I do, agreed Melanie. Someone should set up a hotel like this. It's very relaxing. Well, should I read a bit more? I think so. Okay, I'll start chapter two. Chapter two, get in there. It was such a blessed relief to finally be allowed out of the hospital. Friday had developed a great fondness for Norway. It was hard not to with all the storybook architecture and stunning natural beauty everywhere you looked. She was not, however, so in love with the inside of their finest hospital. As Friday stepped out through the automatic doors and the crisp autumn air hit her face, she closed her eyes and breathed in a huge lungful of freedom. That was until a large man slammed into her. Don't go, cried Binky. Binky was Melanie's brother. His fiancée, Princess Ingrid, was with him. They'd been standing on the footpath waiting to say goodbye. Binky wrapped Friday in a big one-armed hug. He could only use one arm because he'd been shot the previous week in the raid at the Global Seed Vault. Friday could feel wet on her neck and realised Binky must be crying. You don't need me here anymore, said Friday, patting his back soothingly. Only for now, said Binky. You know it's only a matter of time before I get myself in a pickle again. You need to learn how to unpickle yourself, Binky, said Friday. Well, last time I tried doing that, I got attacked by an imaginary polar bear, said Binky. "'Ingrid will look after you,' said Melanie, "'trying to gently detach her brother from her friend. "'I don't want you to go either, wailed Binky,' "'suddenly letting go of Friday and grabbing Melanie instead. "'I'm going to be so lonely.' "'Binky, you're going to live in a palace with dozens of staff,' said Friday. "'And you have your job in the army,' said Melanie. "'And you've got your wedding to plan. "'You're going to be too busy to miss us.' "'We really would like it if you stayed,' said Ingrid. "'I'm sure we could find you a job investigating crime "'or researching at the university.' "'Oh, Bernie's expecting us in Paris,' said Friday. "'And she's very keen to get there "'because Ian has been holding hands with someone else,' "'explained Melanie. "'Already?' said Binky. "'I'm very fond of Wainscott. "'He's just the sort of fellow you want on your side "'when you've been shot in a seed-bolt siege "'and people are trying to kidnap your girlfriend. "'But moving on so quickly,' "'That seems a bit caddish,' a thought occurred to Binky. "'I say, do you want me to come with you and have a stern word with him for you?' "'You're just trying to get out of having dinner with the Great Aunt Helga tomorrow night, "'aren't you?' said Ingrid. "'She's a duchess,' said Binky. "'I'm scared of duchesses.' "'But you're not scared of princesses,' said Ingrid. "'You're not scared of me.' "'I was scared when I met you,' said Binky. "'But not because you were a princess. "'I didn't know that then. "'I was scared of you because you were so beautiful.' Ingrid stretched up on tippy-toes and gave Binky a kiss, because it was a lovely compliment. When Binky had met her, Ingrid had been an awkward teenager, wearing intentionally ugly glasses and hiding her natural hair colour with cheap supermarket hair dye. The fact that Binky had not noticed was one of his many endearing features. "'Um,' said Friday. She found it embarrassing enough when she kissed someone. Watching other people kiss was even worse.' "'Perhaps we'd better get in the car. It's um a bit nippy out here.' "'Oh, yes, of course,' said Ingrid, releasing Binky. "'It's a bad look detaining a hypothermia patient on a cold sidewalk.' "'Oh, Bernie wanted me to give you this,' said Binky. He handed Friday a cardboard satchel, bulging at the seams. The only thing stopping the paperwork from exploding out were two large elastic bands wrapped around the outside and straining to contain whatever information was inside. "'What is it?' asked Friday. Oh, the case notes, apparently, said Binky. The nurse wouldn't let us give them to you while you're still in hospital. I thought it'd be all right to give them to you here on the footpath. Binky glanced up at the building. You don't think she's watching, do you? I'd hate to get in trouble with her. She may be in charge in the ward, said Princess Ingrid, but I'm pretty sure I outrank her down here on the street. Sometimes Ingrid had flashes of naked power that reminded Friday she was more than just the nice teenager who'd moved in next door to them at Highcrest Academy. Ingrid may be only five foot three, but when she glared at someone with full regal hauteur, she could be quite scary. After several more hugs and promising to come back for the wedding, Friday Milne finally slid into the back seat of the chauffeur-driven car Ingrid had arranged for them. Holding the satchel of paperwork on her lap gave Friday an unexpected sense of pure joy. It made her heart warm in a way all the heated IV drips and oven-warmed blankets never could. Her mind was like a racehorse, standing in the starting gate, ready to take off as soon as the starter's pistol fired. That file contained all her favourite things, facts, science, mystery and a sense of purpose. She didn't realise how much she'd missed it all. You can open it, you know, said Melanie. I'm savouring the moment, said Friday. Are you sure you're not just putting it off, said Melanie, perhaps because you don't think you'll be able to solve this one? Friday glanced over. She knew from the smile on Melanie's face her friend was teasing. Oh, please, said Friday. The harder it is, the more fun it is. She tugged off the elastic band and let the contents spill out. There were several folders. There were case notes on the allegations, the individuals involved, and the location, all compiled by an Interpol analyst, Agent Okeke, who would be meeting them at the airport. There was also a big, thick textbook about Leonardo da Vinci. Friday sighed with contentment. <sighs> this is like the best birthday present ever, she said. I won't have to read one of those dreadful novels they sell at the airport. I like the dreadful novels they sell at the airport, said Melanie. So do I, said Friday. But this is even better. Friday set the case notes in order and started working her way through them methodically. She barely registered the Norwegian countryside zipping by en route to the airport. She was totally absorbed throughout the wait to check in their luggage, and she didn't even notice as Melanie ushered her into the lounge and ordered hot chocolates. She was too busy reading. It wasn't until they were actually on the plane and it had taken off that Friday finally looked up. It's entirely possible, she announced. Friday seemed to astonish herself with this conclusion. Sorry, what were we talking about, asked Melanie. That the Mona Lisa. It's a fake, said Friday. And I think that's a good spot to leave it (laughs) because that's a nice cliffhanger. Now you'll all have to get the book and read it yourself. Well, I hope you enjoyed that story. Next week, um, it's going to be one of the Nanny Piggins type, uh, maybe a Greek myth story. We'll see. I haven't decided yet. So until next time, that's it for now. Goodbye.